Learning about Jesus from the one who was his closest friend. Join me, Pastor Hook, as we learn about truth and love from John the Beloved. So we are in 1 John chapter 2. We finished verse 2 yesterday. Actually, it took us three episodes to get through verses 1 and 2, I think, something like that. We're going to go a little bit rapid, more at a higher pace, and we're going to see if we can get this finished in the next eight episodes. So in order to do that, let's just go ahead and read. This is 1 John chapter 2, beginning at verse 3. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Now, this sounds very, very familiar. He's saying things like, if you truly love Jesus, you're going to obey him and your life will be complete in him. And this is how you know that that you are in the kingdom, that you love Jesus, that you know him, that you live for him. Uh, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Now, we studied the book of James recently, and in the book of James, they had a, James had a similar concept. It was called faith and works, where basically the faith part is living, or it, the, the faith is underneath the surface. It's what propels you to do the works, which is above the surface. It's faith and works. As a matter of fact, we have this image um, at our church is what, what we call a discipleship life cycle, which is the seed is planted. And then the seed grows and it sprouts up of the ground and it grows strong and the roots get bigger and the tree gets bigger and then the tree bears fruit. And that's the whole. And then in the fruit is more seeds that get planted in the green. It's called this discipleship life cycle is what we call it. And but you can also look at that as being the root system is faith and what the faith produces is the works. So if we go back to first John uh, chapter two, verse Five, if anybody obeys his word, the love of God is truly made complete in him. That is basically the works portion of it. And this is how we know that we have a root system, that we're in him. Whoever claims to live in whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. So the claim that you live in Jesus is the underneath the surface, because only Jesus knows truly your heart, whether or not you are living for him or you're living for your own personal, you know, gain. If you're truly living for Jesus, the only person that knows that is you and Jesus, and it's below the surface. But above the surface, if you're living for Jesus, it's going to produce fruit. It's going to be a strong, healthy tree above the surface. So if anyone obeys his word, the love of God is truly made and complete in him. This is how we know we're in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. So your life is going to reflect a life of Jesus. And that's what, that's what a life of follower of Jesus looks like. Your life reflects his life. If you say, I know him, if you say to if somebody comes up to you and says, yeah, I know Jesus. I, I love Jesus. Jesus is a great guy. Yeah, yeah, I know Jesus. But then you look at their life and their life does not look anything like Jesus. Then you have to be suspect of what's underneath the soil. And if 
if somebody comes to you and says, yeah, I know Jesus, I love Jesus, but their life doesn't reflect Jesus, underneath the soil, the root system may be very, very weak, or it could be dead, or it could be injured, or it could be fractured. There's something going on below the surface that isn't right. If somebody says, I love Jesus, I follow Jesus, but then their actions do not follow along with that, then there's something wrong below the surface. And, and as I said, we have this image of a tree that, that works is above the surface and faith is below the surface. Um, the, the works is a strong, healthy tree that produces fruit. The faith is underneath the surface that, that supports the tree so that you can bear fruit. Um, so that's basically what John is saying in that particular section. But then he goes on, because listen to this. Beginning in verse 7, he says, Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you've had since the beginning. This old command is the message you've heard, yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. So what are the old commands and the new commands? Well, if you'll remember, Jesus said, I give you a new commandment that you love one another as I have loved you, that the new commandment is love. That's what the new commandment is. And Jesus is saying this isn't a new commandment. It's actually an old commandment. Because if you look at the Old Testament, all the laws of the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments and all the other uh, Old Testament laws, they all boil down to love God and love your neighbor. And there's one word that's key into both of those commandments, right? And it's the commandment to love. And that's basically the whole purpose of 1 John. The whole purpose of 1 John is to encourage Christians to love. And what does it mean to love? To love means to bear fruit. To love means to walk alongside, alongside people when they're struggling. To love means to give of yourself for other people. Love means to be an ambassador for Jesus in the world around us. Love means to, to be self-sacrificing, not for your own needs, but for the needs of others. All of this is love. And we know this because this is what Jesus preached. It's, it's, it's the Old Testament. Jesus helped us see that it's in the Old Testament, but it's in the Old Testament. All of the stuff that's in the Old Testament is basically for love. To love God, love your neighbor. That's the whole entire Old Testament. Everything in the Old Testament is love God, love your neighbor. And it carries through in the New Testament, and Jesus is love. Where love came down and dwelt among us, and he is love. So this old command is the message you've heard. And I'm writing you a new command, says John. Its truth is seen in him and in you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. So when you love, you are being a light in the world around you. Jesus talked about be salt and light. Light means that you love. Salt that means that you make a change or a connection to, to him and the world around you. I mean, that's basically be salt and light. And that's what, that's what John is talking about here. And then he goes on. Uh, well, let's see if I can get there. Yeah, verse 9. He says, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. 
Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness and they do not know where they're going because the darkness has blinded them. And so basically John is saying, if you're going to love, you're in the light. And if you're not going to love, you're in the darkness. So be in the light. Share God's love. Love other people. We spent some time on Sunday talking about what this looks like. And loving other people is, is as simple as, as giving them time, as giving them uh, understanding of God's will for their life, uh, giving them uh, uh, when, when they're going through trials and tribulations, being there with them to help them through the trials and tribulations. And the more you've been able to get through trials in your life and the more God's brought you through those dark times of your life, the dark times of your life, then you can be a light to other people by helping them through the dark times of their life. And we've been going through on Sunday morning a, a sermon series called Deep Roots. And in this Deep Roots sermon series, we're talking about how we're all, uh, we all grow our root system so that we can love the world and be a light to the world around us. We call that pastoring. And it's not just necessarily something that one person does. It's something that all deeply rooted Christians do to the world around us. And as a matter of fact, I think one of the oh downfalls or misdirections of the church today is we think the only people that can pastor in the world today are pastors. And that's simply not true. Any Christian who is a follower of Jesus, who has strong roots, who's gone through things in life that can also help other people get through difficult trials in their world. They are pastoring other people. It is not a professional thing. It's something that we're all, as Christians, called to do at some level. Like parents pastor their children. And their parents, children, from the time they're born until the time they kind of leave home, that whole entire time, they need guidance, direction, and they need love. They need pastoring. And parents can do that. And as the children get older, they get into junior high and high school, we need to bring other parents or other people into their life to see that pastoring isn't just their parents, but it's other Christians who are able to help nurture their faith and grow their faith and help them get through difficult times. That's, that's what the church is all about. And if you love other people, you're going to walk with them and you're going to love them and you're going to be a light for them. You're going to help them not to stumble when you see them in the darkness, you're going to help them get through the darkness and get back to the light. These are things that, that we're called to do. Because um, when they're in the dark, this is what, what well, listen to what it gets in verse 11. But anyone who hates his brother or sisters is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. And they do not know where they're going because darkness has blinded them. So hate, which is the opposite of love, causes you to live in darkness. And so you're stumbling around when you're in the darkness. You don't know what's up, what's down, what's ahead of you, what's behind you. And there are so many people in the world today that seem to live in this world of, of darkness. And they're angry, they're bitter, they don't know why life is falling apart for them. They, they have no one to talk to. They have no one to reach out to. There's nobody in their life that's helping them. And they can do everything they want. They can go see um, as many people as they want. 
They can talk to as many people as they want. The problem is, is when you are in spiritual darkness, it's a spiritual issue. And as a spiritual issue, you need people who are deep people of faith to help you get through this time in your life. Uh, darkness is not simply a mechanical issue that like if you solve these four things in your life, then life will get better for you. I was listening to uh, interesting it's popped up on my feed. It's a guy who was talking about um, uh, he was a millionaire by the time he was 30. And I don't remember why he popped up on my feed, but I watched him for a little bit and I thought it was really fascinating. I think I was fascinated because he was a millionaire by the time he was 30. He does uh, house flipping. Oh, he left California to move to Nevada. And I was curious as to why he moved to Nevada because I hear a lot of people are moving out of California. So that's the whole thing is, but he's a millionaire. And, um, you know, you can have all the millions in the world. You can live in Nevada in a beautiful home. You can live in California in a beautiful home. You can live by the beach. You can live all those things. But at some level, none of that stuff fills your heart. There's an emptiness there because there's still questions about the world, about why am I struggling? Why do other people struggle? What is going on in this world? And those are spiritual issues. And so those questions, the struggles of life that everyone goes through at its root are spiritual issues. And people are seeking a spiritual answer to those issues. And if we just give them the mechanical answer, you know, here's the five things you need to do to, you know, to get your time organized. Boom, 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 boom. Uh, great. Yeah, I get my time organized. But I never dig deep into the spiritual issue is like, why do I even have time? What is, what is the reason I'm on this earth and, and I have this time with me? And what am I supposed to do with it? And those, those are always spiritual issues. And unless people address the spiritual issues in their life, they are hamstrung until they can address the spiritual issues in your life. And so as you live in the world around you, there are people that are, that are, in darkness, they're they're they can't figure it out, and and they're tr they're going to the internet. They're tr you know they're trying all these mechanical things to get their life in order, and none of it for whatever reason, and none of it ever seems to work for them until somebody who lives in the light sees them living in the darkness and saying, "Have you thought about this from a spiritual standpoint? From from a." I mean, you don't even have to, I mean, eventually get into a conversation about God. But I mean, if a person is completely anti-God, you have to start from a different spot in their life to try to figure out, you know, what they struggle with and why and and um, and love them and be an example to them and help them through it in a spiritual way as much as you can. Because everything at its root is a spiritual issue. Everything at its root is a spiritual issue. People may think it's not. They think it's a mechanical issue or I just, you know, if I could just have this car and then I could get to my work and I could get a job and I can feed my family and or I could get a house and then I've got a place to live over my head. You know, these Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, you got to get these big needs met, uh, you know, and if you don't get these big needs met, you can't get to self-actualization at the top of the curve. And I say, you know, I've actually had this conversation recently that Maslow messed it up, that like spirituality isn't the, the top, you know, the self-actualization. Spirituality is actually a foundation underneath everything. 
that helps you understand why do you need the foundational elements that Maslow talks about, right? Um, why do you need food? Why do you need clothing? Why do you need shelter? Why do you need love? Which I think should be on that bottom rung of Maslow. We just talk about physical things, but I think everybody needs love and everybody needs spiritual things. And the spiritual things are probably more important than the physical things. So, and so the person I was talking to said, you, well, you can't disagree with Maslow. He's, you know, he's the God of, you know, the Godfather of this type of thought. Like, well, I can disagree with Maslow if I want to. <laughs> I'm sorry if you, if this conversation may not have any relevance, if you've not studied Abraham Maslow, and I apologize for that. All right. So John's calling us to love and to not hate. And if we see somebody stumbling around in the dark, to go and help them through the dark. That's what John calls us to. And then he, then he goes on to this beautiful poem. Uh, take a look at this. Verse 12. I'm writing to you, dear children. This is technon again. We talked about that yesterday. It's a very good term of endearment. I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I'm writing to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. So it's interesting. He's talking to old, right, dear children. He's talking to fathers. He's talking to young men. Then he talks to fathers. He talks to young men. He talks to all of us. So he's talking to different people at different stages of their life, but the message is still the same. Your sins have been forgiven, and you've known about this from the beginning, God, that God is the creator of the universe and that he lives in you and he lives and breathes, that God exists, right? So your sins are forgiven, God exists, and you've overcome the evil one. You've been through the trials of your life, and you've come through the other side, and you've overcome the evil one's attempts to try to destroy your faith, Right? You've overcome that. And it's not necessarily because of anything you did. It's because you were surrounded by the Holy Spirit and people that were pastoral in your life to help you get through this. You know this because you've been forgiven. You know that God exists. You've overcome evil. Um, you know the Father. You've known him from the beginning. And you are strong. And the word of God lives in you. Because when you have a strong faith, and this doesn't matter how old you are. When you have a strong faith, you are able to love the world around you. You're able to bear fruit. You're able to lead people through the darkness and the dark times. And that's why John is writing. It's like, know that you're forgiven. Know that you are in this relationship with the creator of the universe and then love everybody else, right? The um, There was a song. Well, we'll get into this when we get to... Um, John 4, but there's uh, John 4, 7 and 8 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loveth, born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. Beloved, let us love one another, First John 4, 7 and 8. So that's that's coming later, but that's, and that's kind of the culmination of this thing, is just love one another, because love is of God, and everyone who loves knows God. And if you don't love, you don't know God. Your faith isn't complete. Your, your root system is, is broken. That's, that's what we'll get to later when we, um, when we look at 1 John chapter 4. 
And um, that and that's basically what he's saying here too. He's like, I'm writing to you to know that your sins are forgiven. God exists, and He wants you to love the world around you. And he does it in kind of a poetic way. And we could spend probably a week on this poem, breaking it down and talking about it. But we just don't have that time, and I apologize. Maybe someday we'll come back to it, but probably not. <laughs> but um, he's just writing to all of us at different levels and stages of our life to understand that that God is love and we're to share that love with one another. I mean, it's basically what he's saying. And then 1 John 2, 15 and 17, he says this, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Man, so basically what John is saying is follow the way of Jesus, right? Live like him. Use him as an example. Live your life as he lived, as he loved. Don't look at the world around you and live as the world lives. And the world here is talking about people who are not in the kingdom, people who live for themselves. I think, you know, worldly things is a is a almost like a, you know, it's, it's thrown around so much that people don't really even, it almost seems negative in some ways. You know, it's, you're so worldly or you live worldly things. It's, it's not, and, it, and for people in the world, it's really offensive. It's like, hey, I live in the world. What are you talking about? But, uh, so you have to be very careful when you're talking to somebody who's not in the kingdom to say worldly things because it can come across very, very negative. So you have to find different ways to talk about it. I mean, John is writing to believers, so he can talk about the world and he can talk about you know the worldly things. But if you're talking to somebody who's walking in darkness, like truly walking in darkness, it's not helpful for them to say, well, you're just so worldly, you're living in darkness. No, you have to say things like, um, you're struggling because there's something missing in your life. And the thing you're missing in your life is that you don't understand perhaps, that, that there's a purpose to this life. And that if there's a purpose to this life, there's a creator. And if there's a creator, he has a purpose for your life. And actually, he may have even written a book that talks about how you should live your life to fill that hole. And then, then you talk about, and the way to fill that hole is to understand that you're created for a purpose. There's a God who loves you, who loves you so much that he sent his only begotten son into the world to rescue you, to bring you into the kingdom, to fulfill your life so that your life is not about you, but your life is about others. And when you start living your life, understanding that it's not really about you, but it's around other people, your, your darkness starts to fade, your, your joy starts to increase, the darkness starts to turn into light, things start to make sense, life becomes clearer. All of these things, you don't even have to mention the word worldly. You just talk about the struggles that they're dealing with in their life right now. And that, and then go to those problems and then somehow tie those problems theologically into the fact that they're living not in the light or not in the kingdom or they're not seeing the world through Jesus' lens the way he wants us to live our life. And, and just point that out and talk about it. Uh, Peter says, uh, you know, always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that's within you. So perhaps you could live your life in that light and people will see your light and say, 
why is it that this struggle isn't causing you to go down the deep pit of despair? Like, how come? Like, you're not even... You're not even rich and famous and live in Hollywood and, and, you know, drive a nice car and live, you know, all this stuff that is supposed to give you happiness. You have all this other stuff and you seem to be just as happy. If I've never seen anybody with as much joy as you have. And you know these people. You've seen them in your life. Um, and that man, that's a great opportunity to say, well, let me tell you about where my joy comes from and what completes my joy in my life. Let me tell you about that. And then you have a discussion about the light. Um, but you can't do that if you love the world. Anyone who loves the world, and what I mean by loves the world is the way the world operates, that, that paradigm, that, that lens of looking through the world. Like you're not going to be happy unless you have all of these things and um, you know nobody ever gets mad at you, nobody gets angry at you, nothing ever bad happens to you in this world. Like that's when you're truly happy. When I can finally get through this disease, then I'll be happy, right? Um, when I can finally have this thing in my life, then I'll finally be happy. If I could finally have this person in my life, I could finally be happy. If I could have this education in my life, I'll be happy. All these things that we look at to try to booster, boost our own system. I, if, if I can only get the vaccine, then life will go back to normal and I'll be happy. Let me tell you something. If you can't get if you can't find joy without the vaccine, the vaccine is not going to help you find joy. I'm sorry to say that, but it's not. The vaccine may protect you at some level from a future disease and it may mean that we can start living our life more normal and masks, I understand masks may be with us for a couple years. I don't know. I mean, that's just so crazy to think about. Um it's because if so, if you're if you're if your hope is clinging to the fact, I just can't wait till I can go out into public without a mask, right? Well, you might have a long way to go there. But if you can find joy, deep, true joy in your life in the midst of having to wear a mask, that man, that's if you've been able to reconcile in your own heart how Jesus can love you and care for you, and you can be part of the kingdom, sharing that love, even when you're wearing a mask. And people like see that and they're like, how can you wear a mask and still be happy? It's like, well, let me tell you where that joy comes from. I'd love to tell you about Jesus that loves me, loves you too. So, um, yeah, I think, oh man, I think we'll end it there because when we get together on Monday, we have to finish yeah, we have to finish chapter two on Monday, <laughs> sorry. And then we have to finish three and four next week. And then we have to finish chapter five at the beginning of the following week. And then we start 40 days of Lent, which we're doing a new new study. So let's, let's close in prayer. Gracious God, thank you for loving me and help me to be love and light to everyone I meet because of your son who is true love and light. In his name we pray, amen.